You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism, we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We are privileged to serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. With our Equipping the Saints program, we take a deep dive into topics and sections of Scripture that address the Christian life. How is one to live now that one has been freely redeemed by Christ crucified and risen for the life of the world. We have new life, new life in Christ. Um, but what does this new life look like? Is this new life uh, a pipe dream or is this a uh, present reality? And so with Equipping the Saints, we've been uh, for the last several episodes looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We've been working our way uh, small pieces at a time through the uh, last chapter uh, chapters of Ephesians. We've been in uh, Ephesians 5 now for a few weeks, and we're going to get into uh, Pastor Moline's favorite section of Scripture. It is... Uh, Revelation 7? <laughs> we are, uh, we're going to be looking at... Uh, Probably one of the most misunderstood, abused, misused sections of Scripture. And uh, I would submit, pun intended, that uh, properly understood, this is one of the most beautiful sections in all of Scripture. Uh, I doubt that we're going to be able to uh, fit all of this in in one program, hopefully two, maybe we'll need three. We'll find out how things go here. But we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Pastor, any uh, initial remarks before we uh, dig into this section? Well, I think we've been building up to it for a while, and so we've hinted that it's coming, and we've talked about how it uh, flows out of what we've already covered, and so I think it'll be good to finally get there and to uh, break it down bit by bit. And uh, husbands and wives, I think uh, this is an important topic that um, we need to know a little bit about in our day and age, because this institution of marriage is one that is under attack probably more than any other institution in our world today. Uh, Pastor, if you could uh, humor me just a little bit, if you could uh, give us a uh, very, very brief review of the word parapeteo, uh, walk, 
and uh, things that uh, you have been reminding us of all the way through here. That word walk is a, a prominent word in Scripture, and especially here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. What are we talking about when we uh, see Paul constantly reminding us to walk in a certain way? Yeah, uh, peripateo is a compound verb. It comes from two Greek words, peri and pateo. Pateo means to walk, and peri in this particular instance means around. And this is a description of the way that a lot of um, philosophical education took place. And remember when we're writing to the Ephesians, that's a philosophical center uh, with a a great big library, one of the uh, uh, greatest libraries of the ancient world. And so uh, this idea of peripateo is uh, philosophical way of learning where you walk around and talk about the things that you see and how do you know what they are, uh, how do you know how they function, what do they look like, and what does that tell you. Uh, and so it gets into you know epistemology and uh, things like that as well. And so when Paul's using this, um, we're understanding that that's the process that's taking place. And the question behind it all is, who's the one who's your teacher while you are doing this walking around and learning? And he began uh, many chapters ago, uh, many episodes of this uh, ago, talking about how we were under the authority, the rule, the teaching of the prince of the power of the air, but now we're under the authority or the teaching of uh, God uh, in Jesus more specifically. And so uh, now we're in a different school of learning and a different way of thinking and a different way of living as a result of that. Thank you, and uh, that I, I cannot stress how important that is because Paul has been contrasting the way you used to walk under the leader of the devil, the world, and your flesh, the way you used to walk uh, in your own selfish pursuits and desires, and now that you have been redeemed by Christ, that uh, we have a different leader that we walk under, and that is Christ himself. We do not do this alone because we are filled with the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit uh, guides, directs, and uh, in many ways uh, dictates what that walk looks like, and that takes us back to Ephesians 5.18, that imperative, be filled with the Spirit, and that really uh, sets the stage for all of these directives that are going to come, and the first one is wives and husbands. So, Vicar, to uh, get us started, would you start with verse 21? We've said verse 21 is a kind of a hinge verse. Uh, It's the conclusion of the preceding section, and it's also the introduction to this next section. So start with 21 and read to 33, please. Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, there you have it. Um, Pastor, this this section of Scripture, before we get into it uh, verse by verse, this section of Scripture has been... um, misunderstood, abused, and misused for a long time, and uh, by many people it still is. I think there are a lot of people, uh, both male and female, that uh, would just as soon take a scissors and cut this section out of Scripture and remove it completely. Uh, some, some general comments about Ephesians five twenty one to 33 with how it is uh, misused and uh, used in the church. Yeah, um, I think it is misused a lot, and that's because we don't take the entirety of what Paul is saying. We cut pieces of it out or focus on one section and not the rest. And so to understand it, we do have to take it as a whole, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit. But lots of times uh, the part that gets Uh, you know, cut out and talked about the most is where it says wives submit to your husbands. And it's just taken as a, uh, that's the entirety of the argument. And so uh, it's been misused to say, you know, wives should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen cooking all day long after they've got everything cleaned. And then when the husband comes home, she should uh, rub his feet and uh, uh, get him a cold beer. And and that's, she's kind of like his little slave. And that's not what uh, Paul is saying here uh, at all. And uh, I think on the other side, lots of what doesn't get talked about is what uh, the man's job is. It doesn't get brought out to its fullness. Um, just says, husbands, love your wives. And that part, you know, okay, yeah, I love my wife because she is barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen all the time, uh, just as she ought to be. And that's really not talking about the husband's duty, which is to sacrifice himself, uh, everything he has to love and care for his wife. And you see, if you take it as a whole, this beautiful back and forth between the two as a couple, and Paul is teaching us it's really not actually about marriage, but it's actually about Christ and the church and how Christ loves us, and as a result, we submit. And you have to have all of that together to get the clear picture. And unfortunately, most people don't take the time to get that far. This uh, this text is uh, one of the appointed readings for the marriage ceremony in not only the Lutheran Church, it is in the Lutheran Church, but in many other churches as well. Have you had any blowback, Pastor, as you've worked with couples, uh, couples that did not want this passage to be read or emphasized in any way, shape, or form in the service? I've had it uh, at the beginning when we—we always talk through this passage of the very first time we meet for premarital counseling, and I've had— Uh, some blowback, especially from the fiancés, brides-to-be, over this passage. But once we actually sit down and talk about what it actually is saying and what it means, that has all disappeared um, in every instance where we've had the conversation for me. That's a a very similar experience for me, too. Um, I have them do a Bible study. It includes this passage. And uh, many times uh, their arms are crossed and... uh, the frown is on the face before we start, and uh, almost without exception, 
uh, by the time we're done and we, we see the true meaning of this text, uh, all of those defense mechanisms are gone and the beauty of the gospel comes out. Uh, while, we're, while we're introducing this section, Pastor, I've got one more question and you kind of touched on it before. When I read this section, Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, sometimes I get confused because I can't really tell if Paul is talking about husbands and wives or if he's talking about Christ and the church. Is that on purpose? It definitely is. Paul is using this institution that everybody knows, you know, across all cultures. Um, he's using it as an example to teach us about the relationship between Christ uh, and us, the church. And um, that's why marriage is so important. You know, as, as we say in our uh, liturgy for, for the rite of matrimony, uh, it was instituted by God before the fall into sin. In other words, it is this beautiful thing that God has designed and created uh, and did so apart from sin. But when sin entered the world, uh, you know, it, it fell, and that picture has gotten a little bit cloudy, which is why Paul is then reminding us of it and using it uh, clearly to teach us about the relationship between God and the church. So it needs to be about both. And when we see it about both, then we we learn about um, how being a husband or a wife is a way, too, that God teaches you about himself uh, so that you can understand how he cares for you and loves you and provides for you. Um, Even, uh, you know, I'm going to just use... uh, example here, when husbands and wives are in relationships, there's conflict, right? And yet uh, they still love each other and they still work through that. And in the same way, we sin against God and he still loves us and cares for us. And so there's a lot we can learn from this picture. And I think that uh, relationship between Genesis 2 and Christ on the cross will really come out as we dig into these verses. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We are digging deep into Ephesians 5, and today in uh, episode 8, we are parking the car at Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Pastor, we talked quite a bit about verse 21 in our previous episode in the fourth segment, and um, it just seems to me that we need to review a little bit about this uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, Comments on that verse. Uh, Sometimes I've heard this talked about how, since this is right before the husbands and wives, that there is a mutual submission. The husbands are to submit to the wives. The wives are to submit to the husbands. And uh, that's not what this text is saying. This text is concluding verse, uh, the verses that precede, especially verse 18, talking about being filled with the Spirit and how with this Spirit-filled life, it is a life 
of submission, people submit to the proper authority out of reverence for Christ. Because in submitting to the proper authority, they are submitting to Christ. Um, Comments on that verse before we dig into the husbands and wives part. Yeah, I've heard people uh, say that this verse 21 goes with the part that follows uh, also. I think perhaps the best way to take it, uh, the way that it's written, uh, and part of our challenge, just to be completely clear about it, the NIV Bible, which we used to primarily use in our church body, has this uh, as submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and it goes with the second paragraph. The ESV has it submitting to one another, and it goes with the part that goes before it. I think what it is, is it's a pivot point. It's a a place that connects both the ideas that come before uh, to the ideas that come after. And in that way, it helps us, you know, just logical progression to flow into what we're about to talk about, which is husbands and wives dealing with the sixth commandment. We've dealt with many of the other commandments in the parts before. Um, And it's a way to kind of ease us into that. A segue maybe would be the word that we would use today. And so I think that's what it is. It's a pivot. It's a segue. It connects the two parts uh, and it goes from one logical argument to the next one. And this uh, verse 21 um, is is a uh, you, you got to help me out with the with the proper terminology for the Greek, but it is it is a, a passive uh, being submissive to one another. Uh, most of our translations translate it in a way to make that almost uh, like a command or whatever, but uh, to to being submissive or being subordinate. Um, out of, uh, out of reverence for Christ, which takes us back to that verse 18, uh, being filled with the Spirit. Winger says, the Christian's humble submission to God's order is rooted not just in the realm of the law, command, but also in the gospel, gift. We submit because God has changed our hearts, has filled them with the Spirit. Submission flows naturally from regeneration. Yeah, I think, so the way it is in the Greek is it's a uh, present passive, um, uh, it's a a participle. And so I guess the thing that I would say is um, what it's doing is it's telling us identity. We're the submitting ones. And so that's who we are as Christians. We submit uh, to one another out of uh, fear or faith, or I I think in our English it says reverence for Christ. Um, And so that's our identity, and I think that's how I would say it. And then we're going to go into more specific identity. I, I love that. Uh, we are the submitting ones. This yes. is a this is a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that dwells inside of us. And uh, Winger, in his commentary, Concordia commentary, makes a big deal out of the fact that in verse 18, that passive participle, thank you for that, uh, really drives... What follows with the relationship between wives and husbands, the relationship between parents and children, the relationship between masters and slaves, this... this And Christ and the church. And, and Christ and the church is woven through all of them. Yes. But how these human relationships are changed, affected, um, permeated by the fact that we are spirit-filled Christians. And uh, this this guides, but it also gives us the power to do what God wants us to do. 
And I think once we start to understand this reality, that this is our identity, it defines uh, the things we're going to talk about. Why don't husbands beat their wives into submission? Well, that's not what Christians do. They, they earn submission by sacrifice of the same way that Christ did. Christ didn't come and say, I will be your God or I will smite you. Um, he, he earned that by his sacrifice, by his love, by his compassion, and Christians do the same thing. The, um, uh, let's, very good. Thank you, Pastor. Let's move into verse 22, shall we? Verse 22, um, why, and this is out of the ESV, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, Pastor, initial comments on that. Yeah, I think um, the key thing here is um, it is submission to your husband as to the Lord, and that that idea has to be behind it. Um, And I think um, we've talked a little bit about this in other places, um, that the reason a wife submits is because she's actually submitting to the Lord. And we also have to talk about uh, what does this word submit here mean? What does it mean for a wife to be submissive? Uh, And I think the key thing is, uh, as to the Lord, as Christians, what does it look like that we submit to the Lord? Um, There's a um, Women in the Church book by CPH, and it has an article by uh, Adrian Hines uh, in it on this idea of giving and receiving. As Christians, when we submit to Christ, what does it mean? It means we receive his gifts, we receive his word. He baptizes us and washes us clean. He feeds us and cares for us. He does all these things for us, and that's our submission to him. In the same way, a wife uh, receives the things that the husband gives, her his care, his sacrifice, and uh, uh, she loves him because of the things that he does for her, and she desires to serve him because of his great love for her. And that's the same thing, then, that a wife ought to do for her husband. Pastor, well said. Thank you. Pa- uh, the uh, there are there are some cultures, and all you have to do is turn on the TV to see which ones I'm talking about. But there are some cultures where women are to be subordinate uh, or literally forced into submission by men. This is just kind of a general rule. Um, men have the power. Women are forced into submission, and this this is not this is not a husband wife only thing, but this is a general rule in certain societies with regard to men and women. So here, when Paul starts out uh, the very first of these human relationships that he's teaching us about, he's talking about wives submit to your own husbands. He's not laying down some general principle here between women and men. He is specifically addressing this unique relationship called marriage. And um, to me, that seems like a rather significant point. It it does. And... Um Yet, at the same time, you know, we have to say marriage does help define the relationship between the sexes in in a very general way, but Paul is dealing specifically here with husbands and wives um, in a very specific thing. And it is not—in uh, fact, I'd say—I'd submit to you that historically speaking, Paul, uh, when he's saying this, in a sense, is— um, 
it's it's kind of a new thing for Christians, and not not new in the sense that uh, you know God has been saying this since the, the institution of marriage. But this is not the way that things were done in the Roman Empire. He's writing to Ephesus, a, a Roman city, a port city, an important city where there had been battles and there's Roman control and thought uh, permeating through thing. And in that society, women were in a, a sense chattel. You know, uh, if if I'm a man and I'm going to get a political gain by marrying this guy's daughter, I'll do so until that guy dies, and then I'll find someone else, and I'll switch and get a new wife, and it's all for political gain, for wealth gain. Uh, it's not really done out of love. It's not done out of compassion. Uh, wives are just used and thrown away. Emperor Augustus, um, you know, his daughters and his sisters, he, he uh, married off to people left and right until one of them, his daughter Julia, I believe, kind of went crazy and went off and did her own thing, and he had to banish her. That's the world that Paul is writing this into. And so when he's saying this, this is setting up a new way of thinking about marriage across the board, across all society. Yes. And I mean, it it works whether you're a pagan or a Christian as well. But uh, this is specifically rooted in Christianity and Christ's love for the church. Uh, Vicar is married. You are married. I am married. We all three of us have wives. And yet I would not expect my wife to be in a state of submission to you because you are a husband. This is a specific teaching with relationship between my wife and me, your wife and you, how wives and husbands interact. And wives being filled with the Spirit, are in a state of submission. And as they submit to their husbands, they are performing a good work. They are submitting to the Lord. Correct. And um, Winger uh, says says it this way. Nonetheless, the subordination of the wife to the husband is rooted in the general headship of Christ over man, and of man over woman, to which Paul refers to in the next verse, verse 23. So you're talking about wives and husbands, and then in the very next verse, now we got Jesus in here again. And so um, this is why it, Paul freely flows back and forth from this human relationship and the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship between a husband and a wife is reflective of the relationship between Christ and the church, and the relationship between Christ and the church is reflective of the relationship between a Christian husband and a Christian wife. It's working both ways all the way through here, and I, I think it's I think, I think it's awesome. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I also think that it's important in verse twenty-two. Uh, the way it reads here, wives, submit to your own husbands. That looks like a command. Is that a command in the Greek, Pastor? Well, um, there's a debate about that in the Greek, and uh, part of the reason is is because um, there's there's variant readings over this particular uh, section. Uh, the variant readings... Uh, can have a command form, um, but the 
The reality in the one that is in the um, most common Greek New Testament is is that the verb uh, is from verse 21, the submitting that's up there. It's not repeated again in verse um, 22, except for in the variant readings. And so it is, again, an identity thing going back to that participle that we were talking about earlier. That's the verb that's being used here again. It's carried itself through in the logical way that's constructed yes, in the and, Greek. Yes, and Winger on page 605 says, um, Paul does not repeat the verb here. If the verb is to be supplied in translation, it is best to retain the principal mood to maintain the connection with the Spirit's work, Ephesians 5.18, rather than inserting an imperative. And that's where it's the identity. Wives are submitting ones to their husbands as to the Lord. As Christians in general are submitting ones. We need to take a break. Equipping the saints. Ephesians 5. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship every Sunday at 8 and 1030. Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evening year-round, we proclaim Christ crucified and risen for poor, miserable sinners like us. He has uh, delivered the good to us in word and sacrament. And now, filled with the Spirit, We strive to live the new life that he has given us. We are looking at Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. We're not getting very far, and that's intentional. We want to make sure that we uh, cover the bases as much as we can. And during the break, um, Vicar had uh, really kind of a uh, profound observation with regard to the verb that we've been talking about, or the participle, in verse 21, the submission word that is uh, kind of driving this particular section. Uh, Vicar, do you want to you share your observations? I think they're uh, very, very relevant. Yeah, uh, so the word that we're talking about for all the uh, Greek scholars out there, hupotasomenoi. Um, so that is, as, as Pastor Moline said, that is a, a participle. It is passive, but it's a a special construction we would call the middle passive. So that gives us a little bit more of a a sense that the middle middle tense, it always uh, tells us that it's for our own benefit. Yeah, the middle tense always has something to do about yourself, about me. That much I remember. Now, put all the pieces together with this particular word. So this particular word we would be talking about... uh, let this be done to yourself for your own benefit. We do this because it is according to the command of the Lord. Uh, God is commanding us to submit not only to one another out of reverence for Christ, but wives especially submitting to your husbands because this is for our own benefit. This is good for us. God knows what's best best for us. He wants what's be- best for us. Uh, and we don't always understand that very well, but we do it anyways 
out of reverence for God and everything that he wants for us. I think I think that's helpful. I, uh, I think that's very perceptive, and I think that's also a great illustration of why your pastors uh, at the seminary are... Uh, encouraged to learn the original languages for these extra little nuances that can uh, can make a huge difference in preaching and teaching. Pastor, when I'm working with uh, premarital couples, I will uh, often say something like this. What kind of a God would we have if he brings two people together, husbands and wives, he creates their love, he brings them together, tells them he wants them to be together forever. What kind of a God would we have if he didn't give us any guidance or instruction for what that relationship should look like after he has created the love and brought us together? This is Ephesians 5. He's telling us the best way to be a husband and wife in Christ is right here. What do you think of that? I I think that's true, and I think... um that's exactly the way God works. He's always teaching us what what our life in Christ ought to look like. And I think, again, it's identity sort of talk. It's the descriptive thing. This is who we are now. And uh, and that that uh, clue or this, this helpful information that he gives us is really important because we're constantly hearing from the world that that's not what our relationship looks like, that it's not what our marriage ought to look like, and that we ought to be something different. And and the trouble is, is the way we confess and the way we are uh, really is related to what we actually believe about God, which is why, and I'm jumping way ahead here, all these things that we're doing to manipulate and change the definition of marriage is ultimately, because of this passage, uh, changing and manipulating our relationship with God himself. I think that's... Uh what you said there, I think, is absolutely right. When we start tinkering around with marriage, whether it be uh, same-sex marriage, whether it be polygamy, uh, any any of these uh, variations to the institution of marriage that God handed down in Genesis 2 before the world fell into sin is ultimately an attack on Christ. Yes. And I think... Uh, we have done in the church, I think we have done a poor job of connecting those dots. Um, we're Christians, we're right, and you're wrong. Um, we've done, a, we've done a, a, a weak or a poor job of showing how any false doctrine, quite frankly, is an attack on Christ, is an attack on justification. And the reason why so many people are attacking marriage, Christian marriage right now, is because they hate Christ. They hate the church. They hate forgiveness of sins. And uh, this is, this is uh, whether they realize it or not, it is an attempt to set up someone other than the one true God uh, as God and a means of salvation apart from the cross and empty tomb. Right. And so as we see, uh, we throw out these words, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, at the same time that we are throwing out those words, uh, we also see churches failing to submit to God and his word and recreating God in the very image that they want him to be uh, themselves. And and rather than letting God tell tell us who he is and submitting to that. And so, I mean, there is that connection there, and maybe that's something that we need to go down that path a lot further and we have more time. 
very ironic. Um, Vicar, uh, verse 23, would you read that verse and get it fresh in our brain? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Okay, here's another one of those verses where I thought we were talking about husband and wife, and now we got Jesus and the church, and it's 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 not conflated, but it's all put together, and we want to emphasize part of that. The husband is the head of the wife. Um without reading that in the context that it has been given uh, here. The um, winger on the 605, uh, I, don't, I was going to say I hate to keep going back to winger, but I think his commentary is awesome um, on the book of Ephesians. And uh, he says this verse, verse 23, introduces the theological justification for prior, Paul's prior statement that Christian wives are gifted by the Holy Spirit to take their subordinate place willingly. Paul points not to natural law, not to the order of creation, or to the fall into sin, as he does in 1 Timothy 2, but to the headship of Christ over his church. God exalted Christ over all things to be the head of the church for her sake. Christ's headship is the pattern to which the husband's headship is conformed in a typological manner. The earthly marriage relationship displaying an unseen heavenly reality. I thought that was, I mean, that, that's your word. Everything's reality. And uh, I thought it was beautiful how he said this. And... Um, He's using this head word as kind of a uh, partner with the word uh, submit or be subordinate. And uh, this, this uh, Christ kind of headship is a headship that doesn't dominate or tyrannize, but the headship of Christ offers self-sacrifice for the life of the world. And referring to Christ as the head is another reference to Jesus freely, willingly sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. What do you think about those observations in general and specifically those words I read from Winger? Well, I, I think Winger's right. I think, too, this is a helpful way for us to start getting rid of the misconception of how these words are abused. You know, um, <clears throat> my arm submits to my head. In other words, my arm does what my head tells it to. But my head also tries to keep my arm away from things that hurt it. My, my head tells my arm not to touch the stove when it's hot. My head tells my arm not to get too close to the saw blade. My, my head is constantly serving my arm so that my arm is well kept. And in the same way, if, if a husband is the head of the wife, he protects and guards her and makes sure she's safe. It's not, uh, you know, you're going to do this because I said so. My head doesn't tell my my arm to reach into the fire and pull out something worthless um, that would harm my arm. You know what I mean? I, maybe that's a weird way to say it, but um, again, it's this idea of service, as, as Winger was saying. Yeah, I think, I think that's the key. So the husband is the head of the wife is not a, uh, I mean, it's, it's a present reality. This is the order. Uh, this is the schema that God has set things up. And 
as the head of the wife, he is to reflect the fact that Christ is the head of the church. He is the head, the church is the body. Can we take that the next step then, that the husband is the head and the wife is the body? Is that word picture helpful here, or is that mixing too many metaphors together? Well, Paul's using that metaphor, so I mean, whether it's helpful or not, that's the one that we have, and I think it, personally, I do feel it's important. I wouldn't limit the body to just being the wife, because through husband and wife, there comes to be an entire family, and in a sense, the husband, uh, the the father, is the head of that entire family that comes out as a result of the marriage, and so uh, in the same way that the husband cares for the wife, the husband also is there to care for the children, most importantly and primarily then, in teaching the really, really important things, which uh, for us, we would say the Christian faith. Now, when we're, uh, I made the comment before that an attack on God's design for marriage is an attack on Christ and an attack on justification. In verse 23, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. When Paul talks here about Jesus as the Savior of the world, of course, but of the, the Savior of the church, when we start messing up the order in the church, we start messing up the order of salvation. Winger <laughs> says it this way, and I had never thought of this before. The wife cannot take on the role of head in the marriage because that would imply that the church can act as her own Savior. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think that is especially clear in the Greek because uh, there's actually a separation. You know, it is uh, him, he is himself the Savior of the body. That's where the word body comes. It's connected right there to that word Savior. And I think then that Winger is right, and I think that um, that's, that's the reality that we were talking about with churches. As we throw out this submitting uh, aspect in marriage, we also throw out the aspect of submitting to Christ. And as a result, we take the real Savior out of his place and try to insert something different, something new. And so, you know, social justice or uh, feminism or whatever it is, uh, we could go into about a hundred different things that people are trying to put in place of God and uh, to create that thing to be the Savior instead of what God actually says in his word. We've talked about how these verses are often abused. Pastor, what happens when the husband views his role as head as one of domineering, uh, one of being a jerk, one of uh, demanding uh, the wife's sacrifice rather than his free and willing sacrifice. What's the problem there, and what does that teach us about how we view Christ? Well, I think, again, um, so if we're going to say that the husband is a jerk and a domineering, um, mean person, uh, that changes the definition of who Jesus is. And then that means that's who Christ was during his earthly ministry and during his uh, time here. And uh, it simply isn't what we see uh, at all. Amen, amen, amen. We need to take another break. We'll be right back. Ephesians 5, Equipping the Saints. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Well, welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We are beginning our discussion of Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And uh, in our first segment, we introduced this uh, longer uh, section of Scripture that deals with uh, God's instruction for how husbands and wives are to live out this new life in Christ. We've been working our way slowly, verse by verse, through this section, and now we are at verse 24 of Ephesians 5. Vicar, do you want to read 22 through 24 so we get 24 in, um, in context? We have a tiny little section addressed to the wives, and then we got a big chunk addressed to the husbands. That should be instructive for us there as well. So uh, 22 through 24, Vicar. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, we got... uh we have some interesting words here. We have, uh, we have that submit word again, uh, not once, but twice. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit oh, in everything to their husbands. Now, uh, Pastor, I know you got your, uh, your Greek out there. With regard to the submit is this being in a state of submission is this a command is this uh, in the passive sense how are these words given to us so that we can properly understand them um, this is actually then uh, the verb uh, form the third singular form um, and so that's because of the word church is here so uh, but as the church submits into Christ thusly also the woman to the husband in all things uh, is the way it would be very literally uh, taken and so uh, it is here in the verb form it is not in the participular form it's indicative um, and uh, and and but I think then, Two, it still is that identity because it is beginning by talking about who the church is and it's using how the church interacts with Jesus to describe then the way the wife interacts with the husband. And so uh, it's getting things in the right order in that regard. Uh, this is where we talk about what's it look like as Christians to submit to Christ. Uh, when has Jesus come up and hit you about the head and said, uh, you know, do it my way or else? You know, he doesn't. You've 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 been talking about this is how it is. This is the reality. Uh, this is our identity. Those are some of the words that you've used. And uh, Winger says the simple ex- simplest explanation is that the reader should read or repeat is subordinate or is in a state of subordination uh, through through this verse and through this uh, particular section. And I think that's reflexive of what you just said. Am, am I right? Right. As we submit to Christ, thus that describes the wife's relationship to the husband. Okay. So as the church submits to Christ, is this submission of the church to Christ, is this partial is this total? Is that what this in everything? Are we building up to that here? Uh, how and in what way does the church submit to Christ? 
Um, well, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, there's that great article by Adrian Hines about this. Um, what, what does it look like for us as Christians to submit to Christ? Uh, we hear his word, and we're glad to hear it. We uh, rejoice at hearing it and study it and, and uh, listen to what it says. We receive Christ's gifts of body and blood in, with, and under bread and wine to forgive our sins. We uh, receive the washing of rebirth and renewal poured out on us generously through the Holy Spirit in baptism. We receive all these great things from God, and our life can be peaceful and eternal because of the gifts that God gives. And so in all things, we're submissive to Christ as Christians, and that's what it looks like. And then that describes then how a wife and her husband interact as well. The wife receives love and care and compassion and service from her husband, and she's glad to receive it. And um, she adjusts her life to be able to receive it and uh, to be glad to receive it. Well said. Well said. Uh, page 607. Winger has this with regard to the church's submission to Christ. The church receives Christ as her head, Ephesians 1, 21 to 23. The cornerstone or keystone of her temple-like structure, to, uh, Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. She is rooted in his love, Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. She receives his many gifts, Ephesians 4, 7 to 12. Grows up toward him as he builds his body. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Lives in his love and forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, 2. And sings his praises. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. That's his picture of how the church submits to Christ. And then he ends it this way. The wife's subordination is like this. You like that observation on how he puts this all together, building through the book of Ephesians? Yeah, I think that's exactly what uh, what Paul is saying. Um, the fact that as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I guess I would think that the word would have been must. Um is that an uh, is our English translation an accurate reflection of the Greek? Is the translation trying to soften something here? Um, how how should we understand that? Well, in the Greek, uh, it doesn't use the word must. It doesn't use the word should. It's, it's the word is thusly or in this way also. Okay, uh, and and so it, it's it's a one to one comparison as the church does to Christ. In that way, also the the wife does to the husband, and, and so um, should implies you know some sort of a command sense, and and it, I mean we can say it's there, but it's it's not there in the same way as actually having the verb there, and so it, it's a it's a comparison, it's a um, not a metaphor. What would you call it? A, a, a syllogism? Is that the right word? <laughs> I've got to go back to my logic classes, but uh, that's that's the way Paul's doing it. Okay, and you know, throughout this section, we have we have seen that the the headship of Christ is different than the way we normally look at uh, headship. In the same way that the submission is not a forced submission, it is to be a willing, free submission of the wife to her husband. Paul does not so much command the wife to submit as simply describe the way things are. 
right. for those who are filled with the Spirit. That gets back to your, this is the reality. This is our identity. The wife willingly subordinates herself to her husband in everything. Her willing subordination is patterned on the subordination of the church to Christ. Everything that we just talked about uh, just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, that free, willing submission. If you want this marriage to go well, here's the pattern. Look at, look at how the church submits to Christ, and now this is how wives are to submit to their husband. Um, pastor, this in everything. Um, some people would look at that as some sort of total, absolute authority and control of the husband over the wife. Now, we know that's not the case. Help us understand why. Well, again, it's the same thing as what happens in in the church in Christ. Uh, we have tremendous freedom in our submission to Christ um, as Christians. In the same way, the wife has tremendous freedom as well. And, and so, for example, I'll just take my own marriage. I don't like say to my wife, "You need to wear uh, a blue shirt today instead of a green shirt," and uh, you know, I want you to change your toothpaste to be a minty flavor instead of a whatever. I, I got any. No. Cinnamon. C- cinnamon. Um, she has a lot of freedom uh, in things uh, as, as my wife, and in the same way we do as Christians, and I think that's the thing. Um, and yet where Christ speaks a word to the church, we hear that word and we listen to it and we rejoice in it and we do what it says. And in the same way, uh, when, when a husband needs to do something like that, the wife submits to that as well. And so it's a unique thing. We, we always want to turn this into legalism, and a lot of the questions that we've been trying to answer here are legalistic questions, but I really think this is a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and in that sense, it is gospel, it is good news, and we ought to understand it and take it that way and not turn it into a, this is what I need to do or you need to do as a wife, but rather let... Um, let the beautiful picture of sacrifice and submission describe and define our life. Vicar, you had some questions before about that phrase in everything. Uh, have we have we covered what you were what you were asking or what you were thinking, or is there something more that needs to be said here? Uh, no, I think that really covers it really well. Just like Pastor Moline just said. Uh, there's a lot of freedom. Everything doesn't mean like absolutely, literally every single detail. Um, it just it means everything good, everything God-pleasing. And I think, um, I think this needs to be always drawn back to Christ. Earlier in Ephesians, uh, and it's the uh, epistle reading that we read every year on Ascension Day, we talk about how at the Ascension of Christ, uh, he goes to the right hand of the Father, a position of power, and he fills all things. This is, this is, not, an uncondi- or this is not a conditional headship or authority place he literally is all things and fills all things and um, winger makes this last observation here and i want to get your your uh, comment pastor one who chooses when and where to submit or not to submit to christ has not truly acknowledged christ's headship likewise the wife's subordination must be unconditional to be true subordination. For Christ himself withheld nothing when he sacrificed his very life for his bride. 
thoughts. Yeah, I think that's the truth. And um, and yet, like I said, it's not a legalistic control sort of thing. It's a beautiful, wonderful picture where Christ has given himself to us freely, and uh, we're glad, and as a result, uh, we... I mean, just to keep it short and simple, return the favor and and uh, uh, give what we have to him as well. I think uh, I think as we always bring this back to Christ and his sacrifice to the church, and now the church's response to this free and willing sacrifice of Jesus is free and willing subordination to his word. Thank, praise, serve, and obey. Thank, praise, serve, and obey. And uh, just to highlight once again, nowhere in Scripture does God command the husband to make his wife submit to him. This is this state of submission or state of subordination is free, is willing, is voluntary, and is in joyful response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I thought we would get a little bit farther than that today in this particular episode. But when we come back next time, we're going to look at God's instruction and directive to husbands, starting at Ephesians 5.25. And as we read this section, once again, it's kind of hard to tell. Are we talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, or are we talking about the relationship of Christ to the church and his sacrifice for her? And the answer, as always, is yes. Thanks for tuning in to Equipping the Saints. We'll be back again soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.